This is Memoirs of a Recovering Nice Guy, Episode 3. Hello, my name is Drew Swenson, and I am a recovering nice guy. Each episode, I dive into a chapter of the book, No More Mr. Nice Guy, by Dr. Robert Glover. I hope to reflect on the information presented, and if you or someone you know might be a nice guy, well, I hope my insights can help you along on your own journey. This week, we continue with Chapter 2, The Making of a Nice Guy, Part 2. Last week, we covered a lot of what makes an individual into a nice guy. But this week, we're broadening our scope to see the macro-scale factors that have made our society into a place where the nice guy is more easily made. Admittedly, some of these ideas may be a bit controversial, but they're nonetheless important factors to consider. The Baby Boom Generation and the Sensitive Guy There have been many events that have changed the public consciousness of what was perceived to be a good man. They include, but are not limited to, transitioning from farming to industrial work, from rural to urban lifestyles, absent fathers, an increase in divorce and single-parent families, women primarily working in the educational system, women's liberation and feminism, the war in Vietnam, and the sexual revolution. Each of these factors, to some degree, have tipped the needle of what's created so many nice guys. Many boys were separated from their fathers and other positive male role models, leading to them not knowing what it means to be men. Boys were instead primarily raised by women. Between their mothers and their teachers, they became comfortable being defined by women, and depended on their approval. Additionally, radical feminism demonized men as a whole and pushed many examples of the worst kind of men to the forefront. This led many boys to try to never be like those bad men, and to hide any and all things that would make them seem bad. That's just a broad overview of the factors, so let's break these down to be a bit less reductive. 20th Century History 101 the loss of fathers. Shifting to the manufacturing lifestyle, it took away a traditional source of the male role model. Prior to the era of manufacturing, many folks lived on farms where boys would work with their fathers, brothers, cousins, uncles, etc. from sunup to sundown. This provided a significant amount of bonding time and allowed highly positive growth for their mindsets. Once World War II came around, well, there was already a significant portion of the populace living in cities, and with it, many 95 jobs for fathers that rarely saw their sons. As a result, many mothers had to take on the role of raising their sons, and subsequently, they've taken on the female perspective of masculinity. The Female-Dominated Educational System Since World War II, Schools have been staffed predominantly by females. The first several years of school end up being training for how to please women. The author only had one male teacher between kindergarten and sixth grade. I personally am a teacher, and I've taught at least one year in an elementary school, fourth grade in particular. 
and another year of middle school teaching as an English as a second language teacher in both 7th and 8th grades. At any given time during my first year, there on average about three men in the entire building at any time, myself included. One of my hopes has actually been to be a positive male role model because I personally felt that I was lacking one. In a way, my cognizance of the lack of a male presence was the impetus to my passion to teach. The Vietnam War The Vietnam War was an ignition point between the tensions of fathers and sons. The baby boomers were the young men, and their fathers had differing perspectives. Thus, the anti-war young men espoused peace, love, and freedom from conflict, which I don't necessarily see as a bad thing, but I guess if you combine it with some other elements, then it could have a negative effect. This driving of a wedge between fathers and sons can and does very clearly present itself as something that perpetuates generationally. Seeing fathers and sons at odds creates perceptions of how that relationship is supposed to be embodied. My grandfather was a Marine during the era of Vietnam, and my father was born during that time. Oddly, it seems though that my uh, father actually resented my grandfather, and how he didn't have to travel overseas. Though ironically, the reason he wasn't forced to fight was the event of my father's birth. Women's Liberation Unfortunately, the negatives of radical feminist ideas that came out during the 60s and 70s put a major damper on the image of men in general. There were some dangerous generalizations and epithets widely circulated and stated men are pigs and all men are rapists, and they were and are quite damaging. For a populace of men that was already susceptible to such messages, it really made being a man into being just what a woman wants, and to solely meet their needs. Soft Males and Boy Men A lot of details here can easily describe me. I don't exude the vigor that can be typically seen as male. I'm staunchly anti-war, well, at least unnecessary and land or resources grabby wars. I'm physically and apparently both mentally and spiritually soft. I've been conditioned to think that being hard equates to being bad. The Habits of Highly Ineffective Men Because of all these factors, nice guys' roadmaps are all out of whack. We keep trying the same things with no positive results, or some but to a fleeting degree. Some of these factors include seeking the approval of others, trying to hide flaws and mistakes, putting others before themselves, sacrificing personal power and playing the role of the victim, dissociating themselves from other men and their own masculine energy, co-creating less than satisfying relationships, creating situations in which they don't have a lot of good sex, and failing to live up to their own potential. Everything on that list I've experienced to some degree. Some would argue I've been more selfish than selfless, but the rest are quite solid. So if you combine the factors that cause someone to be a nice guy in one's own family with the societal perceptions of what makes a good man, you thus create the perfect environment 
to create nice guys. As I said before, some of these ideas were a little bit controversial, but I don't think that all of them were without merit. I can certainly see how society would be progressing in this way. I don't want to give the idea that I think women are the cause of all the negativity in the last hundred years. Far from it. I think the male side is equally, if not more, culpable. Misogyny has been rampant for centuries upon centuries, and it's still not gone away yet. The views on what men should do for work has certainly jaded a lot of men from working in the educational environment, especially in the elementary environment. I think it's these stereotypical ideas that keep a lot of men out of elementary schools. So in a way, the negativity towards doing that work has further exacerbated the problem. As I've said, I'm attempting to rectify that myself, trying to be that positive influence in these young men's lives. With this book, I feel like I'm getting more of the perspective that I need to be that positive male role model for these students. I know it'll be difficult, but if I can help at least one student from becoming a nice guy like myself, then I'd say that's a job well done. Next week we're going to check out Chapter 3, Learn to Please Yourself, where we're going to turn the focus towards more individualized motivations and what we can do to fix them. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.